for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we're back at it again with another amazing podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Today, we have Mike Ross. How's it going today, Mike? Hey, Tom. Uh, it's going well, thank you. It's good to meet you. Thanks good for to meet you as well. Good to be- thank you. First off, thank you so much for uh, rescheduling with me. I know we tried to do this. Uh, I, would, I was probably back when you released your most recent single, beginning of October, right? We were originally supposed yeah. to do this. Um, and then some things came up and we had to reschedule and luckily we were able to get it in before the release of the EP. So that was perfect timing, I guess. Um, but first off, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, for the people that don't know who you are or aren't familiar with your work, can you kind of give us an origin story and what got you into music type thing? Yeah, well, um, I'm based in the south of the UK, so that's Brighton, which is about 50 miles south of London, um, although I grew up in the northeast of England, so more like three or 400 miles away from here. Um, I play southern rock, roots rock, Americana rock, you know, kind of country rock, I suppose. Depends on where you are in the world as to what that means to you. <laughs> but um, But I grew up listening to my parents' you know Beatles and Stones records I got into ACDC and then from there I, I got into other 70s rock bands and, and I never really left I never really got out of it I heard the Allman Brothers when I was 16 and 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 that's kind of where I've stayed really you know that that thick juicy early 70s rock sound with good good songs and, and good musicians yeah and so that that's kind of what that's what I like to get up to Nice. Have you, since you brought up ACDC, have you had a chance to listen to their uh, new music they released? Uh, only, uh, do you know what? I haven't actually listened to the single yet. Okay. I, um, for no good reason, actually. <laughs> I, I, I clicked the little video, the little video trailer. I'm, I've been so busy at the moment with my new album that it's very difficult to take anybody else's music on because yeah. I'm doing lots busy. of interviews and, and, and you know, kind of media related stuff to do with that so um I, I i'm overdue a sit down to yeah. listen to that song actually yeah it it, it i w- just listened to it to the for the first time yesterday so i'm i'm right there with you you know just kind of working on so much and got so much other things that i very rarely have time to other than like the bands that i'm doing podcasts with yeah. like just outside of that it's like oh I didn't know ACDC released a new single until like the day before it was yeah. going to release. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'm going to have to try and find time to check that out. And I so. think it's, you know, I think it's great. I mean, I love the, um, I love ACDC. Mm. I, I, I love the Bon, the Bon Scott DC is my favorite, you know, the, you know, the 70s stuff is my favorite, but I really like the, the first albums that, that Brian Johnson sang on. I went to see ACDC 
uh, was it maybe three years ago now when when Brian couldn't sing and Axel Rose yeah. stood in and and I was really happy that that Axel Rose stood in because I don't think Brian sings the Bon Scott stuff so well. You yeah, know? like he sings the stuff that he wrote yeah. great, but watching I, you know they played like they played like rock and roll damnation or, yeah. and, and you know. St- Stuff that I wouldn't that I've listened to live stuff with 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 Brian singing those songs and I don't enjoy it so much, you know. Yeah, but, uh, so it was great for me because Axel could hit all those high notes, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> cool. and at least you could say you were there during that weird period of ACDC where yeah. Axel Rose was the lead singer for. It wasn't that long, right? It was only like a handful of shows. It was like one, maybe even just European too. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know the, the the exact the ins and outs of it. But Brian was diagnosed with you know some kind of potentially catastrophic hearing yeah. loss, and, and you know that's ACDC is a big machine. It's it's like a big super tanker traveling yeah. the the Atlantic. You know, yep. and you can't you you can't put the brakes on so quickly. So. Yep. He couldn't do it, so they drafted Axel in. But I'm I'm pleased that they got back. And and from what little I understand of the project that they're doing, it's like a they're working on stuff that, that they have already in the studio that Malcolm played on. So yeah, you know I I, I kind of get I, I think I like the sound of that that um, yeah. that project. Yeah, and it was also that just after all that stuff had gone on with Phil Rudd as well. So he was like on trial at the time or yeah. something, <laughs> yeah. you know, threatening to kill somebody, but they had, they had a different drummer in, but uh, it looks like he's back in the fold now. And, yeah. you know, I don't really, I, I, who knows what goes on in his personal life, but as a drummer, I really like him. And my yeah. regular drummer, Darren, Darren Lee plays on my albums and, and a lot of the time live, he's a huge Phil Rudd fan. So we kind of, we're happy he's back on the stool, yeah. even if his behavior leave something to be desired yeah absolutely but it's rock and roll right you know people are surprised by people who you know somebody like that there's been rock and roll their whole life but they're not yeah. they never pretend to be good boys you know yeah absolutely like i mean you go and look at like the motley crew like documentary or not documentary the uh, biopic movie they did and they show like all the craziness they did and then by proxy ozzy but we always knew ozzy was a little little left of center yeah. in, so well, kind of most of them really it's yeah. you know maybe when they were younger you know but phil maybe he's carried it on a little longer than you may expect some yeah. others to do but but you know he's you know like i say it's no surprise to me that rock and roll drummers behave badly because yeah. that's why they get into rock and roll isn't it so well they did maybe not so much nowadays yeah absolutely but You've been very, very busy this year. You, you've been releasing all be. kinds of music. Mm-hmm. Um, you've re- you already released an album this year, correct? A full well, or I, yeah, kind of, kind okay. of. I so I mean, like the rest of us, everybody, everything took a big left turn. Yeah. Sort of time around early March, and um, so I had a busy year of touring. Mm-hmm. scheduled and i had always planned to release an album like my new album comes out next week and we'll get to that mm-hmm. but that that would have been the only album i would plan to release this year however um you know kind of i actually i was driving to a show on the tw- on just the last couple of days of february and i was i live in brighton so every way in brighton when you want to go everywhere you have to drive around london 
Okay. So you, you take the you take the ring road around London to get north. You can, there's no way around it. And I actually, actually, my um, I was driving in my van and I had an accident. Oh. So the van, I, I was smashed the van up. Um, I did these two shows, shows, just solo shows, and I got back home and I'm like, what the hell am I gonna do? my van is kind of my living, you know, it had all my equipment in it. I go, I drive from here. I drive to like Norway or Sweden or Spain or France, Germany, you know, all over the UK. So the van was, um, the van was kind of, I only saw it once more. And that's when I went to get my things out of it. You know, it was dead. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, it probably was repairable, but, but when I was chasing around kind of, trying to figure all that stuff out. How do I buy this back from the insurance and where do I get it repaired? You know, at that time we were still laughing at Italy because Italy were having problems with coronavirus and it was yeah. only like Italy and China had a problem. And then, so I'm running around trying to figure this out, trying to get something sorted for all of, because from the middle of March, way up to the sort of end of July, I, I, was, I was busy and I needed this van. And then, like I started getting cancellations, you know, I was supposed to go to Norway and it didn't happen and something else happened. And, and then, and then like, it was just an avalanche mm -hmm. all experienced, you know, suddenly we're all locked in our houses. <laughs> we can't go anywhere. And you know, there's no, in the, in the UK it was really strange things were happening. Like there were, you couldn't buy toilet roll, you know, there was yeah. like, you couldn't buy. Same thing here in the U S. I was going to the supermarket to just get like my normal delivery, you know, my normal food. And there was like people with 200 frozen pizzas. Yeah. But why are you buying? Is civilization yeah. going to collapse? So you're going to stock up on $2 pizzas, you know? Yeah. So, so, so rapidly became obvious to me that, that this, this year was not going to be the year that, that, that was planned. Yep. So the kind of the, the van going was a bit of an early warning sign for me. You know, so so in the end, I just let it go, and I got some insurance money, and and I've been living off that money. Yeah. <laughs> so so I had things like I had some unreleased live work. I had a an electronic album which was never supposed to see the light of day. It was just to be something I was working on, just to get some sounds to combine with the new rock album I'm just about to put out. Yeah. But really, so this I'm in my studio now. I have a little cabin at the bottom of my garden here um and this is where i'm i do a lot of my music making and it was just here like every day for, for three months you know we couldn't really leave the house there was no money coming in so i, I have behind this laptop i'm talking to you i have a i have another computer i have other equipment yeah. and i was just like well what can i do what you know how how do i make this work yeah so i was live streaming and um working on whatever work, whatever stuff I could get out. So, so I haven't had like an official, um, like physical release this okay. year, but I've released maybe five or six different albums through something like things like Bandcamp. Yeah. Just, so, just to keep the wheels in motion, you know? So dystopia rising isn't like a physical or no, no. And, and what dystopia rising is, it's a 35 minute piece that was uh, it, it, my new album is called the Clovis limit part two, part two and, and, which is and, a sequel to part one yeah, that yeah. you released last year. Right. Yeah. So the Clovis limit, the idea with the Clovis limit, the music, and I don't know what you guys call it in Waco, Texas, mm -hmm. but, but here in the UK, 
the, the music that I play, I try to call it Americana music. And, okay. and, and, and what that means to me is everything from Native American ritual music to slave music to Appalachian folk music, which was related to Irish folk music, mm-hmm. that all the way up to like Neil Young and the James Gang and, yeah. you know, anything, anything that's contemporary, anything from the last like, you know, 250 years of yeah. American history, that's Americana to me. Uh, and so in trying to kind of phrase that in a way that makes sense to the public, rather than just releasing all these separate things, you know, mm-hmm. I get, I'm known as a blues guitar player, blues, I, I like blues. Um, I mean, I'm not like a straight Chicago or Texas or, you know, Mississippi Delta blues player, but yeah. I, I have those influences. But it's never been my intention just to sit in one style so i'll borrow apart from like you know country blues and stick it to some something else and something else and 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 that really confuses people confuses my listeners so i i wanted to draw with with, with clovis one that i recorded that in nashville i went out and, and used the nashville session band and, and recorded that and then finished came back and finished it here in the uk but the main the main parts of it were out there um and then clovis too the, the the link between them is that really i wrote all those songs at the same sort of time i okay. had to pull the songs so it's not so much that part two is a continuation of part one it's that for me it, it, you know i had a big bunch of songs i took half of them to america to record mm-hmm. um and they were the ones that were suitable to have fiddle and um and pedal steel and yeah. you know fall more under the not country because that isn't really country music it's more like bluegrassy well it's yeah i i i struggle to you know i can say americana is is like a catch-all term for it but country rock maybe you know kind of like steve earl you know or yeah okay uh, that that makes sense yeah you know uh jillian welsh david rawlings you know that kind of thing so so that's kind of one facet of this thing that i call americana mm-hmm. and then there's also this early 70s you know kind of british bands that went to america like humble pie or people like the james gang you yeah. know uh, the allman brothers obviously the southern rock kind of as it became they weren't called southern rock yeah at the time you know, yeah. doors. so that's like another facet of my musical personality so it, it felt right to call this new album part two because it's finishing off like the saga of these 20 songs, you know. But um, what I wanted to do this time, like I'm a sci-fi fan and, mm-hmm. I, and I, you know, and, 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 and I like this idea of stepping between different versions of myself, you know, so the country rocker, the riff, you know, the, the finger-picking folk singer, you know. Yeah. And and so I wanted to kind of have a to kind of create this environment where I could do that and also and you know combine the things that I like. So which boils down to I wanted to have like some like weird spaceship noises in yeah. between songs, you know, simply put simply. That's yeah. what I wanted to do. So I so I have a synthesizer here, an old Moog synthesizer, Moog if you're American. And and some other bits and pieces here, tape delays. And I just made a loads of crazy noises and just backwards guitars and you know like i have you know like i have a little toy piano you know so if you 
play that and you slow it right down and then reverse it, you get some really weird stuff. Yeah. Um, so I had this thing which is about half an hour long and my intention was just to take small parts of it and dust it over the finished tracks for yeah. Cobus 2. But um, what it ended up with was this quite weird, unsettling and, and quite, you know, but, but, but dramatic sounding thing of its own. So, yeah, around, I don't know, it was maybe like the 18th of March or something, mm -hmm. you know. We couldn't buy any toilet roll. We, we yeah. didn't know what was going on. The government were being really dread, like, you know, we've, we've, off, we've all had a similar experience of how capitalist governments are, are treating this this pandemic nobody yeah. wants to admit there's anything wrong so there's no none of us have a, have a clue and it it was really scary you know it was frightening and 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 the noises you know in my head like well what the hell's gonna happen is this the end is it you know is this is dystopia rising is there a you know is it are we gonna end up like that the road you know that Colin mm. McCarthy movie is this you know what what's going on and then it just the light bulb went off I said you know I have a I have this 35 minute piece of music that really sounds like how I'm feeling right yeah. now so yeah so I kind of just banged it together and got a friend of mine to draw some artwork up and, and released it and and that kind of set me going because then I'm instead of just sitting there going oh my god what am I gonna do you know yeah. it's like I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna I'm gonna push my boundaries as an artist and, and I'm gonna release music and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna provide people with a soundtrack to, to this these crazy times, you know. And that early part of lockdown for us when you know for me sitting in here kind of doing these live streams and hearing people back going, Oh thanks man, because we're going nuts here and having something to focus on like your little acoustic live set. Yeah that you're playing, you know, through your, through my phone, yeah. um, it's really given us, we're really getting something out of it, you know? So, so therefore, you know, I kind of committed to releasing at least one album every month. I've been doing something every month on Bandcamp, um, partly financially, obviously, because yeah. my current income went and south. Doing, um, doing Bandcamps a really good choice because they've been really musician friendly throughout the entire throughout the entire pandemic is it, are, they're still doing the was it first saturday of every month or Bandcamp Band fridays yeah oh, Bandcamp fridays okay that's so i think they started that in april i mean okay. i put this thing out on um on in the middle of march and then a couple of other friends of mine who who do occasionally use Bandcamp, uh they were starting to do the same and then I, and then i think they did it from april and then they've and then they did it for three months and now they're doing it every month and so that first day of the month they, they don't take any revenue i think is it maybe they take 20 percent or something like that normally so yeah. it's not like a massive amount they take yeah. anyway but it was a really nice gesture so it fit in quite nicely with with my idea of how am i going to do it you know like that helped me to make the decision so I released a bunch of stuff. I didn't do anything this month because I really wanted, you know, since the end of July, I've also been releasing singles for this new album, which is, mm. you know, has like CDs and it's, it's like a proper release of new material rather than a live record or some demos or whatever. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so you released it. So for the Clovis limit part two, that releases on Friday, mm -hmm. uh, you released a new, or you released a single for it, which is 
Don't Say a Word. That's the single for Clovis. That's the current single. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I had a, there's been or, three so since July. There's been three, but Don't Say the Word is the is the newest one, and that's okay. So it's been getting yeah, it's good results. We've got picked. There's a magazine here in the UK called Classic Rock, which is uh, which is a, like the biggest the biggest rock magazine left. There's not that many of them nowadays. Yeah. And um, and they selected it as one of their tracks of the week, so it got into their feature and and yes, getting a lot of plays on the on the kind of on Spotify and, and and those kind of places and yeah, lots of press. So it's it, for me, it's I mean all I, I all my songs sound the same to me. I don't really know whether it's a country song or a folk song or a rock song or this that the other. But particularly for this record, I did I did try to 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 focus a bit more, you know, so to give people a bit more of a chance of understanding where it is that I'm coming from. So you know, the references, you know, like a lot when when you when you see my band play live, you sound a lot like Government Mule, for example. Yeah. You know, maybe not quite as heavy as those guys, but very much sort of the jam band around a good song kind of vibe. Yeah. So, you know, bringing an awareness of that to the media marketing campaign and maybe, the, you know, the, the single selection and stuff, it, it's been really helpful because I think, as I said earlier, I, I tend to confuse the hell out of people because they don't know what version of me they're going to get, you know. Yeah, I get you. Um, so since you're a little less than a week away from the release of the Clo Clovis Limit Part 2, what what's kind of going through your head right now as you prepare for this like final well i mean what i'm really into i'm shipping pre-orders so mm. you know i do all that myself so they're coming through thick and fast at the moment although there's always room for another one if anybody's yes. watching um so they're all shipping from here you know i have the merch piled up here and, yeah. and in my in my house and i'm going to the post office every day um so there's that and then interviews like this and, and we're also rehearsing cause I'm, I have a live show on Thursday night. Um, and that's and, a, the release show. The release show. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been in the diary for months and months. We didn't really know how we were going to do it. Yeah. We know we knew there'd be something, what that would be, if it was going to be me in here playing through it and chatting about it or, you know, but w it's but it's in actually in this just over here like near where i am in the town uh there's a recorder studio where i did some of the basic yeah. tracks for the album in brighton brighton electric so they have a little venue like a 150 cap venue in in the complex so we're, we're doing a broadcast from there we were we were hoping to have an audience uh we but the, the we, we can't do it the risk mm. the the regulations at the moment are just yeah say we can't do it but um we're live streaming on multiple cameras and mm -hmm. we are using one of the things i've done through you know during lockdown to keep myself occupied is instead of just making like a video for the singles you know two mm -hmm. or three videos i actually made a, a video for every song on the album oh wow um using a combination of some stock footage and some stuff that like one of the songs i have a friend that lives in tennessee mm -hmm. and he went to muscle shows for in, in alabama for the weekend mm -hmm. so he just like took some film driving across the bridges and driving through muscle shows and he sent that to me and i made a little movie 
and then I've did some stuff with green screens. So I've actually I've actually made a in the end I ended up making a film of the whole album, which mm -hmm. will be released down the line. So I've taken little excerpts from that film. So when we're doing the show, you'll get like um, if, if for for those of you that have already they're already on my fan page on Facebook. I've been showing these bits of video for the last few weeks. Um, and some of it is little bits of in, I did some interviews in here with a friend of mine. Yeah. So, you know, at the live show, we're going to drop some bits of those interviews in, we drop some bits of film and then cut to the live band. So it's a bit more of a multimedia event, trying to make the most of the, of the format, you know, instead of just being a, like an old fashioned yeah. live gig. Yeah. So there's, so I'm doing things for that, and that's everything from making sure that the, the band, you know, myself, well, myself and the band, we're up to scratch with that, and, and advertise promo for that, and you know, I have a, um, a, I have a couple of extra guests come in to augment the band lineup, so just making sure everybody's got all the, what they need, and yeah, you know, so Absolutely. so there's there's plenty plenty for me to be getting on with. Absolutely. So for uh, the Clovis Limit Part 2, are you uh, doing anything uh, pressing vinyl at all? Or are you just doing straight digital and like CDs? Well, I've got CDs. Um, I will do a vinyl. How I did the... So with Clovis 1, mm -hmm. that came out last April and I did a CD. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the beginning... <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't really work out because of COVID. But... Yeah. Um, because because at that time I was so busy with like an with a touring schedule with a slightly different band and I was also collaborating with some friends of mine in another kind of more rocky project. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the touring I did last year didn't really reflect what Clovis One was like as a record, the, the instrumentation or whatever. So this year I had a whole bunch of stuff worked out with a band that was more you know, put together to, to tour the songs from Clovis One. And in support of that, I had a lot of merch ordered up, T-shirts, and the vinyl version of Clovis One, mm -hmm. um, which has largely remained unsold because I haven't done any shows. Yeah. So, they've, you know, that's kind of been leapfrogged now. So I did a CD for the first issue of this, and then it is my hope in maybe March, April, maybe next year, to be able to book a proper tour, mm -hmm. you know, get back out with a with a with with a good band and with a you know with yes. organization, and then so I'll do a vinyl run in support of that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, it's amazing to see that vinyl is coming back. Like, you know, it, I, I'll go to like not so much right now, but I'll go to little independent shows or whatever, and I'll see artists with their forty fives or you know like whatever they have, and it's like. I almost much rather pay the premium on that and then just go listen to their music on Spotify, like keep the vinyl like as pristine as possible well, just it's because the, it's like a piece of art, you know, it's like, absolutely. So it's an absolute event, you know, I mean, I, I never, so a really short version of my musical history is that I got into playing you know with touring bands and sign mm. bands or whatever in, in a kind of mid 90s originally mm. um but at which point vinyl was just becoming obsolete and nobody was nobody was buying it at shows yeah. certainly you yeah. know you'd get cds made and, and we were really proud <laughs> to be able to, i mean like at, at first it was cassettes and i still have some from my old band in my loft you know and cassettes and are making a comeback as well they seem to be don't they although i'm i'm not 
I don't condone that because they were a <laughs> shitty format, right? Oh back. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they remain there although it was good for Ripinol. anyway so you know like the my experience when i kind of got out of that making original music for a little while kind of 2006 vinyl was nowhere mm-hmm. it was all cds um there were no digital mm-hmm. there was there was you know like people were buying something and then copying it onto their computer and then yeah. sticking it on their video ipod yeah, that was, that was how you did it then. Um, I never so I and and I'd never released anything under my own name on vinyl. I, I was on some singles um, that by under you know under other band names that, that I played on, and I never really expected to to have my own albums, you know. Yeah. And then, but with the kind of demise of the or the or the dismantling of the industry, you know, around it, it goes kind of hand in hand with artist reaching fans um directly via mm-hmm. this kind of format you know social yeah. media um the pressing plants the t-shirt makers the lanyard makers whoever it is yeah. they all have had to open their doors direct to artists whereas before yeah. it would have been done by the label yeah there was like middlemen yeah, so I mean, I think the punk scene was always quite DIY, but yeah, you know, the, everybody else would you would go to an independent label, they would pay for all of that, they'd put you out on a road, and then they'd repay themselves from the from the revenue from distribution or whatever yeah. or, or, or not, as the case yeah. may be. But um, you know, I, I would I never expected to be my own artwork director, yeah. digital aggregator, and tour manager, and, and this kind of thing, but but kind of coming back to it after a little break and being a bit older and wiser um, and, and looking at the, what artists were doing. It's like, oh, well, you know, you can, you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the when, when I did my, the first vinyl album I did in my own name was, was my album Jenny's Place, which was 2016. The vinyl version of that came out. And, uh, and it's fantastic, you know, because I get to choose the artwork. I got to do the gatefold. I get to choose the, the design of the labels and, and everything. And it's hard work, but it, but it, it, it I, I found that compared to when I was in the past where decisions were made for me and I didn't get the outcome that I wanted, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's really empowering and it, you know, it allows you to, I mean, you know, I can sell those and make money, which I can pay them on my rent and, yeah. and it keeps the whole thing going. But yeah, you know, going back to my early days, again, growing up in the Northeast of England and, on a Friday afternoon, I'd get the bus into school. I'd get my pocket money, or I had a paper round, um, and I'd go and get a buy a record from our from the local. Uh, in England, it was like our price. Maybe mm-hmm. you had those there, you know, this small chain of stores, and they would have all of these, you know, Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones and Eric Clapton and ACDC, and they were yep. like what we called mid price. So yep. they might be like for five dollars or something like that yeah. it was about as much as i had so i kind of just buy the one i like the look of because we didn't know what i didn't know what any of them were like i just think well that's a cool guitar on the cover of that i'll buy yeah. that yeah. and then sort of sit and read it on the bus on the way home or you yeah. know ingest all of the information and then it kind of didn't really matter what it sounded like because it was such an event for me you know yeah so being able to continue that in my own way now with the so Clovis one on vinyl, mm-hmm. nice big 
you know, chunky yep. thing you can hold in your hand. And I did an insert for it. And, you know, the even just the restrictions of the time. So when you create an album, if you create an album that's made for CD only, you never have to consider the playlist per side. Yeah. You know, so when you make an album that you're going to put out on vinyl, you have to be conscious that really, if you don't want the quality to suffer, you've got a maximum of about 22 minutes yeah. per side. And yep. so that influences the running order, you know, and, yep. and so it felt very natural for me to do that because I've spent my life listening to vinyl. Yep. Well, compared to albums that are made on CD, you know, long tracks, it just helps to, it helps you with, it helped me with the arrangements and with the presentation of it. So yep. it's like an intrinsic part of the process for me. Yeah. But um, I'm looking forward to doing a Clovis vinyl. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. because of the playing time of that, Clovis two probably be a double. So. Okay, nice. Yeah, there's a there's a band that I follow down here in Central Texas that they're doing a very old school approach with their music release. They're not releasing it as vinyl, but they're releasing like it's vinyl. So they're doing like an A side, B side single. So okay. like. If, yeah so they're doing like if it were if it were like a 45 or something you'd get like a single on there so it'd be like a side b side and it's like that's really cool and i hope to one day that they get to a point where they could afford to press vinyl because you know vinyl isn't cheap and it's not easy well i mean it's a lot easier now than it was probably five years ago to press vinyl but it's just the upfront cost that's the trouble you know i mean you know you could you could do it. I could give you the website link now of a mm-hmm. company in America that could do it. Yeah. Um, and it's totally doable, but you have to buy 500. Yeah. So you, you gotta, you gotta make it worth their while. Cause they've, they've do got to make, don't they have to make like a template or something or exactly. like a, it's cut from a glass master. Yeah. So they, yeah. or, or, or actually no, sorry with vinyl, it's metal. So they, they have it, you make a metal master mm-hmm. and then their vinyl is pressed from that. Yeah. So, but you know, I mean, you can get small runs made. They're just very expensive. So you don't make much money when you sell them. Yeah. Um, But if you, if you buy in like 500 finals, then they come down to a relatively small number of pounds or or dollars each. Yeah. So, but, but then you are sitting on 500 of them. So you have to be committed to the touring cycle. Yeah. That's going to let you get rid of those. Yep. Which is where, you know, like in my case, I lost all my touring. So I've, I'm sitting on like 400 Clovis one vinyls that they're probably going to be around for a little while, you know, <laughs> yeah, until, until but, you can get back out on the road and yeah. Yeah. Start selling them again. Yeah. You know? Although I've sold some on the web store, but nowhere yeah. near as many as I would have done if I'd have been in front of audiences. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, you were talking about the punk scene always kind of being DIY and doing everything themselves. I sat here and watched, a lot of punk bands have to kind of close up shop during this pandemic because they can't, because they thrived and like touring was their thing. They would tour for six months, yeah. take like maybe a month or two off to regenerate or go right or go into the studio or whatever. And then they're back on the road for six months yeah. and they've got like, they either got their own printing shop so they can print their own shirts, merchandise, you know, all that stuff or they know somebody that does and you know so it's just really interesting the way the punk scene kind of does it the thing is is it's dirty and you got to be able to get your elbows dirt you got to be able to get your hands dirty and just kind of jump in and do what you got to do to make a buck 
you know. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, it's just a. It's if you want to do something, do it. You know, and, and whether that, whatever that is, you've just got to get in it. Um, but it is, it is just kind of just getting down to, or you know, putting your money where your mouth is, ordering a bunch of shirts, getting in a van, sleeping in the van, mm-hmm. you know, and. I was doing that for a few years. I mean, you know, kind of got a little bit above that now, but just driving around by myself, playing solo shows with a pile of merch that nobody was buying, but yeah. just being seen and then, and then, you know, just building it and building it and building it. But yeah, yeah that, I mean, all of that's come to a halt for most people at the yeah. moment. So oh. that, that's what inspired me to just try and keep as much of it going as I could on online because yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to be left behind when the, you know, when, when things start to get back towards like a, a, a relatively normal touring yeah. circle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so for Clovis one, you recorded that mainly in Nashville, you brought it back to the UK to work on it your own, but you mainly recorded it in Nashville and then, uh, Clovis two, you recorded in Brighton, you said? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it was all actually the majority Again, I mean, I said I had a couple of busy years, right? Yeah. So, so I went to Nashville in April of 2017. Okay. The kind of so go back a bit further. So, so in 2016, my album Jenny's Place came out, and that's when I was going around everywhere that I could get, uh, a lot of the time by myself, sometimes with the band, um, and just playing all these shows, not turning any work down, just trying to build and build and build. And all the time I was doing that, I was demoing. So if I had like a guitar in a hotel room or sitting in a bus yeah. or whatever, uh, I was sketching loads of ideas. It was a very creative time for me. So I had a bunch of songs, um, which became Clovis 1 and 2. Mm. And um, and so the opportunity to come to Nashville, I didn't, I didn't, like I didn't turn it down, but it was, I wasn't expecting it. You know, I have a friend from England that moved out there and he introduced me to a, to a guy that has a studio there and so it, it, you know i kind of followed the opportunity rather than 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 decided from out of nowhere that i was going to do it so a bunch of the songs went so i went then and then came back and then immediately went on tour to we went to spain and did a tour of spain spain's quite a big country i mean it's not big as texas but it probably is as big as texas Spain's big so yeah. we were there for a while driving around and I was still doing these songs and demoing things and then we got back and then we went into the studio for another four days where um, where I did the basic recording of Clovis 2 and then I didn't get an opportunity to work on it for, for a long time because I was out on the road touring and, and, and finishing off Clovis 1 and uh, you know working with other artists and things like that so it wasn't until last summer so it was almost two years after the kind of basic tracks got recorded that I was able to sit down in here and and, and finish them off. So I had kind of a long gestation period, yeah. which was, which was, I think it worked out very, very well because it gave me the opportunity. I was thinking about them a lot. In fact, it was driving me nuts. I thought I was never going to get them finished, you know? Um, so by the time I came down to do it, I was able to do it relatively quickly because I had this plan and bosh, bosh, mm. bosh, bosh, bosh. Um, but the, yeah, the, so I guess it feel it, it, it's the, just hit me there. Like when we talk about it, the relief that I'm feeling that it's finally coming out. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's been such a long journey throughout the entire process of the creation from Clovis 1 now to Clovis 2. And of course, with COVID, it's one of those things where it's like, do do we even really want to release this album if we can't do a show or if we can't tour off it or, you know, but... the decision, so I, I think I might got my dates wrong there, but, but so it was 18. It was 18 that I went to Nashville. Okay. So it's two years, just over two years since I did that, give or take. But, um, but still, it's a long, still, it's a long yeah. period. Oh, yeah. you know, usually these things kind of get, you, you go in the studio, finish it, you come out, and then, and then the process starts. Um, but yeah, it was... There, there was a question for a while about whether I would release this album this year. And, but because it had already been long enough, I'm, I'm like, I know that because I'm still writing songs now. I'm, you know, I'm, st- I'm, I'm, still, I'm still working on new material, not all the time, but, but, yeah. um, but, you know, regularly. So the danger was that it would just get leapfrogged by the new stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't want that to happen because it's a really good record, you know, oh, yeah. and I wanted it to get it out. So although it may not have made the best sense in terms of, you know, maximizing what I might be able to do with it in terms of touring or whatever, um, I needed to get it out. It was, it was a decision. And, it, and it's kind of also wedded to that thing of, you know, I've, I've made a lot of new fans in lockdown. I, I've, I've, I've increased my fan base and I've increased my kind of, uh, engagement with the fans that I already had they understand me a lot more you know these this documentary thing that I put out and, mm-hmm. and just having more time to communicate with them socially and they come in I did live streams in here where people were asking questions and you know so so kind of growing my audience in all different directions it's like well I'm going to continue with that yeah. and I'm going to give you this it would be like this would be a really bad missing part yeah maybe because this Clovis 2 record it's absolutely the best thing that I've ever managed to put out. You yeah. know, it's the most, it's the most kind of evolved in terms of the, the, the way that it really can, uh, captures the, the, the best of what I'm able to do yeah. as a singer yeah. and a songwriter and a guitar player. You know, absolutely. And that makes me so happy to hear that. Cause you know, like back in the beginning of the pandemic, when everything kind of went into lockdown, you saw two different types of musicians. You saw the one musician that didn't have anything ready, did, hadn't been in the studio a long time, hadn't been writing. They just packed it up and not calling it a career, but okay, well, I'm not going to do anything until this whole pandemic thing kind of figures itself out. And then you've got the second type of musician that either is always writing was lucky enough just to have gone into the studio or has the ability to record themselves, you know, so that like that, that type of musician where it's like, okay, now they're going to really hit the ground running. They can't do shows, but they're going to figure out a way to make it work. And I think a lot of the musicians that have kind of figured out a way to make it work, they're seeing their, their following growing, like just astronomical numbers, like, I think I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I know for us personally at Live and Amplified, we've almost grown by 40% just during the pandemic, you know, at That's a amazing. time. Yeah, well, it's just, 
I mean, it's forced an evolution onto us, hasn't it? It's forced, yeah. it's, you know, for, for better or worse, and not all of it's good because the, you know, the, the effect it's had on, you know, live, it, mm -hmm. but, you know, but I, I guess the, the, the way that I've been choosing to see it from the outset is that, um, you know, the, the, the growth will come out of it. Yeah. You, you have to, you have to find a way of looking at it that allows you to, to not feel out of control with it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. For example, my, my wife's, uh, Swedish. We're, we're, mm. She has a house in Sweden. Most of our grandparents all have. So we go out there occasionally. And um, about two, maybe three years ago, there was a huge forest fire in Sweden. I mean, mm -hmm. and it, and it, the house is quite a long way up. So and it's not so populous. So it's not like California where you're fighting like gardens and houses and freeways and things. Yeah. It can burn for weeks without yeah. getting anywhere near anybody's houses. Mm. Tens of thousands of you know they have hectares there but you know th hundreds and hundreds of square miles of forest burning and um and, and you wouldn't know because there's no houses but but we went up there and, and you could see you know the smoke going and it's crazy but, and then actually we went this year and we ended up driving back we had to take a big detour the year of the fire because it, we couldn't the road was blocked so this mm -hmm. year we drove through there and you know this big fire that was catastrophic and was you know was a really big deal for the whole of northern europe like flights were cancelled they had firefighters driving from poland yeah. up to, up to uh, way way down they were driving all the way up there to help put it out and it, the italian had these big italian airplanes dumping water on it yeah. it was a huge big deal for the whole of europe and you, you know it, three years later, two, three years later, you go, now there's a lot of fresh growth there. The trees mm. are gone, you know? So if there's a forest fire and then they keep, you know, and, and look at it, I don't know about it in the States, but in the UK, the, the touring circuit is kind of broken. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is kind of broken uh, on the level that I'm at. The venues, they aren't that great. They're not that well supported. They don't look great. They, yeah. they, you know, the pay is shitty. They, 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 it's, it's just not, you know, we do it because we have to, because that's a circuit. But there are, yeah. there are some venues that are really good and well run and they don't provide that kind of yeah. half-baked experience, you know. And, and they're the ones that are still around. They're the ones that are finding ways to help musicians through this. Yep. And, and the ones that are the, the toilets that, that nobody, you know, that they, weren't that supportive. They're just going to go and they're going to be replaced by new ones from people that are setting up for the right reasons, I guess, you know, yeah. like a forest fire. It can be catastrophic at the moment that it's happening and it can take a while to, um, to kind of rebuild or, or to, yeah. to regrow, but usually it's kind of good for the environment. Yeah. It's really good for the conditions. And I think that, you, you know, there, there are a lot of artists that maybe weren't into it for the right reasons anyway. Or they were into it because it was easy, or because, mm. you know, because you know they could get away with things. So, yep. you know, you've got you've got committed artists, which is what I try to be. You know, authentic artists, somebody yep. that's, that's that's trying to do their best to to say something that means something to them rather than just pretend. You know, so they're they're all going people like that. I, think, I hope for me is that, that they're going to go through the growth and, you know, and, and, and those kind of values are going to shine through. Mm -hmm. That's going to help, that help us to have those opportunities, uh, you know, as live gigs and, and whatever become more available. 
there's a there's an English I won't mention him by name, but there's a guitar player on my scene. He's quite quite well known over here, and his posts are almost um, always negative at the moment mm. on social media. I mean, he lost big tours. You know, he lost yeah. he lost a lot of money. He lost a, he lost the combination of quite a lot of work. So yeah. I don't blame him for being you know for failing. Yeah. But he's you know he's like I can't wait for all of this to blow over so we can get back to the way things used to be. Yeah. And, and right from the outset of this, I think I, I've realized that, well, it's never going to be the way that it used to be, you know? And yeah, there's so many, we've already lost so many venues, we've, yeah. you know, and it's, it's not going to be like it was this time last year. No, it, I don't it's think it's so. not, you know, and, and, and it's going to take, I was chatting on the phone, I'm working with trying to find a new agent at the moment. And I was talking to somebody, um, recently and who, who's a respected agent here in the uk and um he his, his view that was that it was going to take at least five years to book back you yeah. know because you've got a backlog he he books american he, you know he works with artists from all over the world and he books them all over europe and um and you've just got a backlog of bands that, that are waiting to tour that are waiting to come out you know mm-hmm. tickets are pre-sold for a year's worth of shows now they've yeah. all been punted to next year Yep. So where's the shows that we that I'm trying to get? They're going to be in 2022, you know. Yep. So so then what? But like a, you know, another analogy is like a big pileup on the freeway. Yeah. And you know the the first car can be moving, but it's going to take a long time to get the other car from the you know to go yep. back through. So. Yeah, yeah, but but I what I do strongly believe is that um, sitting around bitching about it is never gonna yep. is never gonna it's never a good solution negativity is never a good solution so finding a way out streaming a show to an empty room and 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 you know selling tickets to the youtube link or whatever is if that's what we've got to do to get it done then that's that's what i'm going to do yeah there's plenty of people doing it they're they're showing that it's successful like i know uh red rocks amphitheater which is a pretty big venue over here they've done a couple of different things where they'll, they'll bring a band in and do an empty stadium or empty theater, uh, live show. And I know like the Ryman in Nashville is doing one tonight. And so I don't know if that's like this, uh, the venue doing that, or if like bands are coming and renting it out and then just kind of doing. Well, I think, I mean, a bit of both, you know, sometimes it's the venue, sometimes the artist, sometimes it's the agent or the yeah. promoter, you know, uh, it really depends on, on, on it. And, and I mean, you know, here in the UK, in Brighton, there's a theatre called the Dome Theatre, um, and, and they've, they've got a series of shows. And we have, you know, they have this term here, socially distanced, I don't know if that's getting used in the States. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I, I prefer I prefer physically distanced because yeah. it's, it's not socially distanced, and yeah. socially distanced means something else that I, that I don't I don't like the tone of that. But but you know we have these restrictions so you can have like maybe a third of your capacity or something. Yeah. So in a venue like that, they have the tables and it's all clearly lined out and it's table service for the drinks and blah 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 blah, yeah. um, and then it's streamed. So uh, and I don't and I think really that. We're, we're long overdue streaming gigs just like on a general basis because, yeah. you know, my launch show, I've sold tickets to people in California. Yeah. I've sold a ticket to somebody in Russia, you know, because I play in Russia now and again. So there's, t- there's people from there's people from Moscow, 
to LA. Yeah. Going to watch my live show on Thursday night that's being filmed in Brighton. Yeah. And you know, so my the, the launch show was it when was it was it last year? Yeah. So the launch show for the Clovis One. Okay, so I filmed it, but it never occurred to me to stream it live. Yeah. Why would I need to do that? I'm, I'm selling tickets for the people to come to show. You know, the, the, there was just no uh, precedent to maybe offer a, 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 you know, a cheaper ticket that you could access the live stream for. Yeah. But it, but we filmed that on three cameras, and I bet all three of those cameras had Wi-Fi and could have been connected to a streaming box, oh, yeah. and we could have just done it. You know. Yeah. But yeah. so that so that's not going away, and um, and I think that's only that can only be a good thing. Yeah. for artists revenues you know as the venue capacities go up and the technology becomes more commonly used then, mm-hmm. then I think, yeah you know, i think i think it's okay but but you know there's clearly some painful times that we've had and that we're gonna have before mm-hmm. before that starts to settle down and we start to maybe see all of the benefits yeah absolutely it's we're going to be in for some interesting times but locally like you'd mentioned, it is really easy to do a multicam live stream. Like mm-hmm. you can do it on your phone. Fo- like you could ultimately do it on your phone. Um, you can do it with GoPros. Like I know GoPros have wireless features, you know, so it's really simple to do. You just got to kind of have some know-how on how to. Yeah, rig it. I mean, you know, I've done those in here with, with three, I did it with three cameras and it, and it was, this laptop and two phones yeah um and then you know like i have my keyboards here so when i was playing the keyboard i just put one of the phones here and then playing singing at the camera and then i had something else over there the difficulty in doing that as a before unless you have somebody switching for you yeah yeah it gets difficult and also it's just keeping an eye on the tech you know like Um, you know, I mean, you and I can both see that this is going live onto YouTube because it's yeah. this and that, but that we're just chatting. So if I had got my guitar out and started to play songs and I'm thinking about the words and whether yeah. or not I'm like drooling while I'm yeah. singing and what, you know, yeah. all of this other stuff and then wondering how it's sounding and it can be really challenging, but, yeah. but I mean, that's the like, hard part about, um, zoom here is because it's mainly for meetings and conversations like this the second you introduce instruments it's got an auto leveler feature that will compress your vocals and your guitar into like a certain frequency range and then it's got an auto eq feature so like i'm assuming it's probably still raining by you right now we can't hear that because it's eqing out everything below a certain frequency range yeah, you're right. And I, and I did, I had done some gigs on, on Zoom, actually. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things I was trying. And there, there were, they're, they're like, there were, used to be a couple of things that you could adjust to, to help sort yeah. that out. They actually just introduced, and I've only used it once, but it seems good, a high quality audio feature within okay. Zoom. So in the advanced settings now, you can go in and you can disable all the stuff that you're talking yeah. about. That, yep. that made it, and, and, and you get their bandwidth's gone right out. So, you know, that, a lot of that stuff's possible. The first time I did a live stream, it was on my phone. And then when I tried to do a live stream on the laptop on Facebook, this is, it was, it was quite difficult to do the schedule thing and yeah. you know, getting it to accept the audio from the interface rather than the laptop. And, yeah. 
and then I did what I didn't do one for quite some time. I've been using a piece of third party software, but then it happened to be I got invited to do one and, and I just went straight to Facebook and it's like it's like five years had gone by. Suddenly I had this amazing interface that, that yeah. seemed to work very, very well. So as I say, that dragging us all into that kind of modern yeah. world is can only be a good thing. But it's so for my live stream on Thursday, um, I'll just be all I'm going to be doing is singing and playing the guitar. Yeah. You, you're some, leaving everything else up to somebody else. Yeah, I have a sound man doing the live sound, and then I have a cameraman doing the filming. And he's yeah, as you say, he's two GoPros and then one handheld. Um, but he's he has some kind of streamer that you can control from a from a tablet. So yeah, absolutely, you know, he he can he can monitor it and he can change the cameras really really simply mm -hmm. it's that it's that extra pair of hands and, and, and eyes and oh, yeah. ears yeah but um i don't want to keep you too much longer we haven't even talked about the documentary at all mm -hmm. but what, what was kind of the idea behind that and releasing it in or in parallel with clovis limit too well i wanted to grow my audience you know mm -hmm. i wanted to grow my audience and um and how do I do that? I looked at some of the things. So all my life, as we said, you know, I grew up listening to, to these records and, and, I be, and I'm like, I used to describe myself as a musicologist because mm -hmm. I, I was really, I was really determined to uncover the links between. So why, why does Steve Earle's music speak to me in a very particular way? This guy from Texas mm -hmm. who records in Nashville but why does it feel like the songs that my granddad used to sing when I was a kid? And that's because they all come from the Celtic tradition of songwriting and the Celtic tradition of songwriting comes from Northern Spain. And before that, it goes back to Africa. So, you know, there, there are all these patterns in music and, and I uncovered those by watching things like, you know, documentaries and, 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 and along the way I, I, and I have a, book whole bookcase in the house full of document uh, uh biographies you know so yeah. Allman brothers steve earl as we talked about the rolling stones hendrix you you know you name it crosby stones nash and young i love reading those books and they're all kind of stitched the wider narrative together you know is it that, that really influences how i how i write how i perform how i talk about music so, and that's very, very difficult to kind of put across when you're on stage for, for, you know, an hour and a half. You don't want to be spending all your time giving anybody a history of music lesson. So, but, but I wanted to communicate some of that stuff. And, and just by understanding, you know, it also helped me to understand myself a little bit, you know, looking back you know, looking back at my childhood and then trying to, and then trying to kind of convey the important information of that in, in a 60 second soundbite to hand out to the world, you know, it, it, it maybe it had helped me come to terms with some stuff happened maybe when I was a kid. So there's a therapeutic element to it, but ultimately, you know, these days it's about tribes. It's about, you know, we find like-minded individuals and we hang out with them. You know, I do that. Mm -hmm. When I was 16 years old, when I heard the Allman Brothers for the first time, there were like three other people in the world that I knew that liked the Allman Brothers. And we all went to see them play. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there was like a room full of them. But then I didn't meet anybody else that, that, that liked the Allman Brothers for like for 10 years. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're not a big band here, you know. 
But nowadays, thanks to the internet, I know more people that like that band than ever. You know, uh, because because I follow those connections. So so we're like a tribe now of Southern rock fans. And and those guys, because of my kind of, you know, participation in that, some of those guys have now become fans of my music and I've become fans of their music. Yeah. And so kind of teasing them stories out and, and, and just, you know, just telling them in a way that allows people to understand a bit more about me. That was what it was. You know, that... There's a, there's a Tom Petty documentary. Is, is it Running Down a Dream? I think it's called Tom Petty. Yeah, I think that, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's like four hours long. It's amazing. It's, it's the hands down the best music documentary or maybe three hours long. It's in, it's in two parts. That's how long it is. Yeah. You know, and, and, I, and I love that. I mean, nobody wants to sit through three hours of my life to date, you know. So I made it, the whole thing's in its edited form. It's about 12 minutes long. I yeah. split it into little sixty-second segments, just to share on social media. But it was—it was all. I had extra time because I wasn't touring. I had to find ways of occupying myself. I looked at some of the ways that I could encourage people to kind of get behind me as an artist a bit more, and then and then I did those things. So that making documentary, I did, I did a series of interviews. A friend of mine came down, and we did an he interviewed me, and we talked about every song on the album. So every day for about the last 10 days, I've been sharing one of these little documentaries. So when the album comes out, if you need to know something about the song Shoot You If You Run, you can pop over to my Facebook page, my fan group, look in there and then look it up and then you then you might learn a bit more about it, you know, which is what I do when I'm, yeah. you know, we, like we said, talk about ACDC before. Yeah. And I you can have a little look, you know, and sort of find out a little bit more about them. So it's just making that content available, really. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But so you're about a little less than I keep saying, wanting to say a week away. You're less than a week away. <laughs> Five days now. Yeah. Five days. Um, you got your release show on Thursday. That's going to be streaming. Uh, it's going to be on your Facebook page, or is it going to be on? No, it's it's a so it's through. So you have to buy a ticket for it. So it's okay. like a it's a private link. So okay. if you buy a ticket from the from my web store, so. Okay. From the gotcha. uk website. Yep. Um, and then you get emailed a pass. So, pass. yeah. yeah you, so you get it's a private link you'll get, and then you come in. So it starts at seven o'clock UK time. Uh, I have another band playing. And then, so that, yeah, that's the night before, and then the album comes out on Thursday, on Friday, the 30th. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. And then where can everybody find you online? Where can they find all your current music and uh, uh, Clovis Limit 2 when it drops? You know, where, yeah. where can well, they kind of... I mean, you'll find, it, you'll find it on all the digital services. So, you know, Spotify, iTunes, Deezer, Tidal, you know, the, the Apple mm. Music, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the best place to start is my website, which is, as I say, it's www.mikerossmusic.co.uk. Um, and then from there, you'll find links to my socials, Facebook, Instagram, you know, all of the, Twitter, yeah. all of the usual, all the usual ones. And, yeah. And, um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much for giving us the time to sit here and chat. I know I originally said about 45 minutes. We went a little bit longer than that, but it was such a great conversation. Um, really appreciate that. Um, one final question for you. Um, 
are you now that we've talked about ACDC's new song and once your album releases, are you going to go listen to it? Try and find time to listen <laughs> yeah. to it. I might go and listen to it after this conversation. Actually, okay. it's it's one of them things that keeps popping. Oh yeah, I can listen to that song, <laughs> and then uh, and then I drift off doing something else. Yep. You know. So no, I th I think I think I think I'm going to make that the next thing that I do. I'm going to go and cook. Um, we have a we're going to have our Sunday, um, Sunday uh, meal together yep. now, and it's my turn to cook. So okay. I guess I'll go put it on the um, on my uh, yeah. yeah. I'll get find it on iTunes or whatever. Yeah. And, and the yeah. kids will be screaming at me to turn it down. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yeah, I got to do my Sunday breakfast, which isn't really any different than Saturday breakfast or Monday breakfast. It's, it's just, just today. Yeah, because <laughs> I live about a thousand miles from anyone in my family. So. Okay. Oh, well, we, the, my wife and uh, we have three kids, so. Yeah. Uh, and a dog. So there's, there'll be, there's plenty of requirement for sustenance in our yeah. family. I got you. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll catch you guys later. Cool. Stream is off. We are good. Thanks, man.